0: Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by Three Geeky Millennials. I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the DC area, and today with me we have a very special guest. Me! Leah Sense!
1: <laughs> Leah is a friend of ours. She works at Walt Disney World, um, and she is a big fan of what we're going to be discussing today. So that's why we invited her here. Also, hi! I'm Anya Crittenton. I am Associate Editor at the Tracking Board. I wasn't here last week, and this week, HT is not here, so... It's a bit of a revolving door right now. HT is currently gallivanting across Japan, uh, having a great time from what it looks like. So we're very happy for her, of course. And this week um, is sort of a continuation of last week's episode, uh, which is all about politics and pop culture, Um, although the episode this week has sort of taken on a different tone given the results of the election this week and It's been a very difficult week for all of us, um, and trying to process everything, and so we're kind of reshaping this episode, um, to talk about the West Wing, and what it means to us. Because, you know, like Roger Ebert said, movies are the great creators of empathy, and I think you can apply that to sort of all art forms in general, um, including TV, and I think West Wing is a really great example of creating hope and empathy, and optimism and kind of an ideal to strive towards. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Um, and let's get right into it. So Leah, since you are our guest, what is your relationship with The West Wing? When do you start watching it? Why do you love it? Oh, it on us.
2: okay. I actually didn't start watching it until very recently. Um, two years ago, I say very recently. Two years ago, um, I had best friends all throughout high school who watched it and were constantly talking about it. And I did the thing that you do when you're a teenager and people are trying to push something on you and you're like, no, never. Nope.
0: Yeah, same thing.
2: <laughs> Several years down the road, someone who also became my best friend, Ms. Anya Crittenton, um, gave me one more push toward it and I went, okay, fine, I'll sit down and do this. And I instantly fell in love with the show. Because it's impossible not to fall in love with these characters, uh, given what Sorkin has given you. Um, And here we are today. I have rewatched this show so many times, even within that very small window, so many times, um, especially this election season. And I think a lot of us have done that. I think that's been the response for a lot. Um, We've gone back to either Parks and Rec or to this show. Just because we want we want that hope and that optimism that you discussed. So.
1: Yeah. We do. We need to we need to see some sort of light mm-hmm. in the future. We yeah. need to make sure that keep reminding ourselves that we can keep fighting. Um Willoughby, what about you?
0: So uh my dad got the entire series on DVD uh after the seventh season had aired. Um, in that little, like, box set that looks like a bunch of files and stuff. It's really cool.
1: I have that same box set.
0: Yeah, yeah. so um, Super cool. it was spring break of my senior junior year of high school, and I had, you know, basically a, a week of doing nothing. I, I, I was not a very active kid and of, like, social variety. So I sat and watched The West Wing, like, seven days straight, and it continued on to the end of uh, junior junior year into into summer of just watching the West Wing either by myself or with my dad or my sister if she came home from college or work at that point yeah she was out of college by then um and so um I watched the entire series for the first time on DVD um watched like the special features after each season um and then I was caught up by mid-summer of 2009 2009 um, and I haven't really watched, I haven't re- done a full rewatch of the series since, but I have watched, I've rewatched, uh, select episodes like, uh, like when the government shut down in 2013, I watched the government shutdown episodes or recently when the, uh, first presidential debate of the, of elect, of this, of 2016, uh, like the general election, not the primary, um, I watched the, uh, two or three primary uh I mean two or three debate episodes that they've done I did like the, the one where they were at Camp David and then they went to uh the debate episode and then I watched the, the live debate episode with uh Santos and Vinnick uh and then uh I've rewatched a couple I watched I like uh right after I graduated from college I, I started rewatching a little bit of like the Zoe um kidnap episode uh arc oh yeah Mm -hmm. um and i and what struck me re-watching the series after living in washington dc for five years was how much they actually filmed in the district of columbia i was actually very surprised like there's that episode where they actually walk on the mall to congress which is Mm -hmm. like a, a great moment in the series where they're just like triumphant and they're just trying to get things done and they're like, we're, we're going to make a show of it. We're going to walk on the mall towards Capitol Hill. I'm like, that's great. And they actually filmed on the mall. Um, or uh, during uh, Zoe's uh, kidnapping episode, uh, they actually filmed in Georgetown uh, under the Whitehurst uh, freeway bridge. And I was like, I've I've been there. I've, I've gone down to that waterfront. I've, I've been where they filmed this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, they tried to make it as realistic as possible. Um, in, in their setting, there it's not some fancy, you know, we're gonna shoot in Cleveland instead of Washington D.C. like parts of Captain America was filmed, even though they did film in D.C. for that movie too. Um, so I, I just uh, I've wa- just re- done some casual rewatching over the past couple of years. Um, yeah. Cool. And on, um, on I'm you, kind what's, of, what's yours?
1: I'm kind of with you, sort of. Um, I remember my parents watched it when I was growing up. Uh, they were watching it live when it was airing. I didn't really watch it with them, um, but I remember them watching it, and so I didn't actually get into it until freshman year of college. Um, I My f- dorm room freshman year was right next to our RA's dorm room, and he was doing a big like binge of it, and so it kind of became this thing where like a handful of students would pile into his room, and we would all watch The West Wing together um, in our RA's room, and I just completely fell in love Um, and then that the summer after freshman year of college um, I bought the whole box set and binged it that entire summer so summer of 2011 is the first time I watched it all the way through for the first time Um, and like both of you I fell instantly in love because how can you not Um, and also like you will be I've never done like a full rewatch of the show but um, especially being on Netflix now I will just like pull up Random episode when I'm in the mood, and just watch. Um, so like I, I did it with you, same. Um, when like events are happening, like I remember when the filibuster was happening recently, and so I watched the Stackhouse filibuster, which is a great episode, partially because of just being the West Wing, but also because Donna saves the day, and Donna is my girl. So yeah, so I just love it. I think it's really smart, um, really fun to watch, really entertaining. And just gives you that hope. So we know that, like, the West Wing isn't, you know, they, they're they realistic with some things, but government isn't quite as idealistic or sometimes it makes it seem government is smoother than it is in the West Wing. Yeah. And so... They get more things done. Yeah. So many things done. <laughs> A lot of things. It's pretty incredible. I wish we could get that many things done. Um, I'm worried about, like, Obama's legacy right now and all the things he got done and what's going to happen.
0: Yeah, that's the the big fear right now. So
1: worried! So, even though it's unrealistic, what do you guys get out of it in Um, reality?
0: The the fact that they're, like, a, a workplace family... Uh, I always l- love those ensemble casts that are kind of like found families um and you know they're all kind of dysfunctional people with their real families, but then when they come together in the West Wing, it's like they're such a tight knit group that you know they can basically they basically read each other's minds before they speak anything um so I, Do you have that's... a favorite
1: character willoughby
0: Bartlett mm mm-hmm. that's Def- what I definitely definitely yeah. Bartlett um even though I mean like all the characters are great like Josh is great and C J is great and Toby is toby and then sam seaborn is cool like they're all great um but i think bartlett is definitely my favorite i mean like it's kind of i'd say it's a little cliche to have like your main character be the favorite but i also like abide by that rule like i think that there's a reason like a lot of main characters like you
1: and you and adama right
0: yeah like like the leader of the group is always kind of like my favorite character um i'm like drawn towards those people like if president Bartlett and Admiral Adama ever met that would be the most intense like sequence of events ever because I think well, a they'd be on the same side and then they would be like both shouting at their sons and they're they're like or in in this case like Bartlett's like uh like metaphorical sons of like Charlie and uh uh Josh, Josh? they'd be like you know yelling at them because that's what dads do <laughs> But Bartlett's yeah, like he, so great. Yeah, he's so he's so great, and he's so like optimistic in the face of like his MS and his um, battles with the Senate and the House and like his uh, presidential campaigns and just like every every task that's thrown at him, he always does it with like a sense of humor and a sense of action and the ability to to get shit done. So
1: yeah, yeah. for sure. And we all know the story that Martin Sheen wasn't supposed to be
0: right like, he, was, he was yeah like, in every fourth episode that's what i heard so he was supposed to yeah. be in the for- first episode as like the big reveal of who the president is and then they were supposed and then he was supposed to be like not a main character and then they just were kind of like well, why w- why do that
1: <laughs> yeah i love that he's a main character because he's so wonderful martin sheen is great
0: yeah and like i get that i get that, i get their original intention of showing just like not the president, but, like, everyone who works for the president and, like, that kind of wheelhouse. But at the same time, like, if it's, if you call your your show the West Wing, you got to show the president. Yeah, I, <laughs> think, I think it also makes you one care one. more. <laughs> I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I think it makes you care more. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if you have a faceless president and all of these underlings that are constantly trying to push the agenda for that president, you don't care as much. But, like, seeing Bartlett and how emotionally involved he is in every single decision that's made you care more not just about the presidency but about all of these people who are putting so much time and so much energy and all of their own emotions into this same work
0: right like if they if they did like a presidential election but they never showed the president that would be weird i mean i guess that's kind of what that's kind of what veep does like you never saw president hughes on veep but that was almost sort of like the joke Um, was that Selena never worked with the president on anything real Um, so like that was uh, that was almost like the inverse of that of what the West Wing is Uh, and so like I think that that that's a good point is that you care about what whatever the president cares about you care about it too
1: yeah Leah what about you do you have any like favorite characters oh I'm just so glad that you
2: asked oh boy I identify the most with Josh Lyman. We are very similar people, but I How want to be... How is that possible? Be...
1: He's a Slytherin. You're a Hufflepuff.
2: I d- it's... Don't ask me questions I can't answer.
1: He's like the most Slytherin <laughs> Slytherin to ever slither. Shh! It's fine.
2: Um, I identify Movie. with Josh, but more than anything else, I want to be CJ, and I think so many of us do. Um, I can't describe coherently how much I love CJ and what she stands for Um, I love her super long overarching storyline where she puts in all of this work and eventually gets to be just below the president she has the biggest job in Washington that isn't being the president Um, but her story of how she gets there and everything that she has to go through is so great to watch and she still retains a sense of humor through it all because it's Alice and Janney and you can't not have her be humorous um, but she also cares so deeply about everything the women of Kumar as an episode destroyed me um, it's a good and episode I, it's so good and you realize that she doesn't always love her job you know she she's always on board to do the job but when it comes down to it she doesn't have to love and stand behind everything that she does um and to see the duality of that is very important i think um to see that yes we are all working as a team and yes we are all putting on a united front and that's what an administration is supposed to do but sometimes that's really really hard yeah
1: Yeah. And I mean, she didn't even start in politics.
2: Right. No, she started out as a publicist. Um, And so, you know, you do sort of get to pick and choose the things and the projects and the people that you would like to represent doing that sort of thing. Um, But when you are called to serve like this, obviously there are going to be some decisions that are made that you're not going to agree with. And in that episode, at the very end, when you see her go into the briefing room... And the first thing that she does is make a joke, even though, you know, she hates what she's about to say. (laughs) Yeah. It's a great moment Um, and embodies, it embodies her entire character, I think, in one episode.
1: Yeah. Good. Um, I feel like I identify most with Sam Seaborn. He's everything. He's the optimist idealist that I strive to be. Um, but I also really love Josh. And then Donna, though, is probably my favorite character. Because Donna is just everything. Because she... I mean, the fact that she started... like She got her job at the White House by basically just saying, like, Hi, I'm your assistant to Josh when she, like, wasn't his assistant when they were on the campaign trail. That's my favorite thing. She just, like, asserted herself and proved herself, and lo and behold she ended up working in the White House. Which is amazing. Um, There's that episode where she calls her teacher with Bartlett and like tells her teacher where she is, that she's in the White House and it's because of that teacher. And it's just so great. I just think Donna has really great growth and she's just a really endearing, admirable character. And I always say, so we've all watched all seven seasons, there are people who do not watch past season four, because that's when Aaron Sorkin left the show, and so they just don't keep watching, which is a little silly to me, because it's still the West Wing, there's still, like, story to be told, and the later seasons are very different in tone sometimes, um, the Toby stuff is all awful and we can just forget that it ever happened, Um, But there's a lot of really great stuff, too. And I feel like I always say that Sorkin leaving was the best thing that ever happened to Donna. Because she finally grew in those later seasons. You know, she, like, started working on a different campaign opposing Josh. Ended up on the Santos campaign. Ended up being the chief of staff for the First Lady by the end of the series. And I just think watching her growth is pretty amazing. Because she's not, you know, the most the flashiest character. She doesn't have the flashiest job in the White House. But they give her an arc and they give her character. And I really love that. I have a question for you, Anya.
2: Yes. Regarding Donna, do you think that she is supposed to be sort of
1: the audience surrogate? That's a really good question. I, mm, that's a really good question. I, I feel like she... Can be, but I'm not sure that she was intended that way.
0: Because I think I think I see where Leah's is going with this. Where she asks a lot of questions about like things that are happening. Like she's yeah. not because she because of where she is on the totem pole, she kind of has to figure out what's going on because everyone else already knows what's going on, and yeah. because they're so because they're because they're already on, like, mission mode, she's kind of, tr- like, why is Josh running around the office? Like, she's, that's, like, her goal is, like, what is he doing? Why, how can I help her? How can I help him? And then, like, the, like, because we might know, like, certain things might be happening, and then she gets, like, more information, and then we're, like, oh. Yeah, or, like, she kind if, of asks
1: the questions. The if There's, like,
0: asking. a code word that, you know, one of one of these folks will say, and she's, like, what does that mean? Like, what's, and then she'll be, and then they'll be, like, they explain it to her, and then she's, like, oh. And
1: then we're like, oh. Yeah. And then we get it. Well, I mean, it's really funny. Sorkin always says when he talks about Donna that, like, he, I guess he met someone who was, like, the assistant to the chief of staff when Clinton was in office. Bill Clinton. Obviously. It's very sad. Um, And this assistant said that, like, she didn't, like, serve the president. She served the chief of staff. And that's kind of how he created Donna, with, like, Donna... Like, Donna serves Bartlett, obviously, but, like, Josh is her number one priority. Um, and, of course, I mean, I always love them as, like, a couple. Very cute. And the push-pull is wonderful.
2: Um, I don't know if Willoughby knows this, because he does not listen to the other thing. He doesn't listen to the West Wing Weekly...
0: Um, which
1: is a great it, podcast as well and you guys should all listen to it it breaks down episode so by episode Josh Molina is one of the co-hosts
0: who played uh, Will, Will on Bailey. the show yes. yeah. Yeah.
2: they had Janelle Maloney who played Donna on the show and she talked about her audition and she talked about the fact that from the very first moment she played it as
1: though she were in love with Josh
0: oh nice yes
1: yeah, and I mean it's clear in the first season that like Donna was not intended that way Mandy was but Mandy just did not work at all and that's why she disappears in season 2 and they never even bring her up again. They don't even address it.
0: Did you guys know that mandying is a verb? Is it from the from the show?
1: It is
2: from the show. Um I was talking to a friend recently about the West Wing and they went, oh, wait, this is Mandy, isn't it? And I said, yes. And they went, that's like a thing as a trope, apparently, that people get mandied. They just get written out of the show and you just suddenly never see them again. And there's no explanation.
0: You know what? That happened in Supergirl recently with the character of Max Lord and also Lucy Lane. They both were written out unexplicably.
2: So now you know, there's a West Wing verb for that.
1: Didn't Lucy have, like, an actual exit? Uh,
0: I can't remember. Maybe she did, but Max Lord didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he just, le- like, he was such a, he was a big part of season one. and then he they, was. They, they haven't even referenced him or his company, like, at all. Like, they just brought, they just brought in the Luther Corp, like, and just completely wiped out the fact that Max Lord existed.
1: Yeah, that is weird. But yeah, and that happened with Mandy. She, like, she... And it's really obvious. When you watch the first season, Mandy really doesn't fit. She does not gel with the show and with the cast. Um, And nothing against, like, the actress or anything. But, you know, sometimes things just aren't a natural fit. And she wasn't. And I think Donna really kind of stepped into the spotlight in ways that they weren't really expecting. And they realized, okay, this is... This is a thing that we need to pursue. Um so yeah so in terms of just um arcs and plots do you guys have any favorites or any ones that kind of really stand out to you um yeah
0: um I have a my favorite episode I mean it's a kind of like a one one off but it's two cathedrals um it's such a powerful episode in so many different ways and so you, you got to understand how much Mrs. Landingham knows Bartlett better than he knows himself. And when he gives that clear, definite answer at the end of the season, that if, if he's going to run again, where if you're not paying close enough attention, you might think it's a cliffhanger, but it's not. Because he gives that, that tick that he does, where he, or that nod, where he's like puts his hands in his pocket and he turns to his left, and, he's, and you know that he's made up his mind about something. And that answer is yes, that he's going to run for a second term. Um, yeah, so I think two, two Cathedrals is one of my favorite episodes, um, I think, uh, the Santos campaign is very interesting, um, I really like that it was, like, a drawn-out campaign of, like, it it, it, tri- it was very much, like, our modern-day primaries, where it's, like, 15 months of of campaigning, and it took up, like, two seasons.
1: So much. And it really, you can see there's a stark difference between, like, the campaign plots and, like, the White House plots in the later seasons, Like, the campaign stuff is more interesting, at least to me. The White House stuff kind of falls by the wayside a little bit in the later seasons.
2: Which, honestly, is very much what it's like in an election year. Yeah. Everything in a campaign just moves so fast because it has to, whereas Washington drags its feet on things.
0: Especially if you have, like, a president running... Or if you have like people r- from the from a a, 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 uh, a presidential cam- uh, staff running for another campaign, like with Josh running the Santos campaign.
1: Yeah, and then the fact that like I mean Leo being named VP. Yeah, yeah. And so he wasn't there to be chief of staff for Bartlett. Um, and uh, before the episode started, Leah, you were talking about how Santos is kind of was kind of like a. Proto-Obama. Oh my god, yeah. Um, when
2: I was watching those episodes, because I came into the game so late on the West Wing front, I watched them and all I could think was, you guys predicted an entire election. Um, Because Alan Alda was very, like, as a character, very much also reminded me of John McCain. Yeah. Um, and I don't just mean that in terms of like generic old white dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and the fact that Santos is a person of color. Right. And Santos cared about a lot of the same things that Obama was pushing in his campaign. Um, and like was also so much younger and he had this wife and these kids and no one was kind of sure what that was going to look like in the white house. Um, And so to watch that whole arc was very interesting to me, having already gone through that whole election debacle before. Um, So yeah, it was really nice to see both of those things.
1: Yeah, and Santos was a great character. I loved Santos. He was awesome. Um, And I really, yeah, that campaign was really interesting And I mean, that's the thing is the show does draw on a lot of real life events. I mean, primarily from like the Clinton administration, but they have plots, you know, that were like inspired by things that happened during like Reagan era or even earlier, Um, you know, and they address a lot of issues kind of head on, you know, they talk about LGBT people in the military and they talk about a lot of things that are very relevant to us. And I think that's why it kind of speaks so much to us is that it's issues we directly care about. Um, Do you guys ever find that the show is sometimes almost too on the nose?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's Sorkin's problem. Um, That's, he's always very much, I mean, he can, we've, we've talked about Sorkin in the past on this podcast where he can be a little bit preachy, um, especially when it comes to like the newsroom. Um, but I think that, you know, in, in the fact that the West Wing is an entire show dedicated to politics and liberal leaning politics, um, you you can kind of see that there's some times where it's kind of like we get it. But at the same time, uh, the West Wing aired, you kind of have to remember when the West Wing aired, which is at the height of the Bush power Bush um, era. So like there was a lot of things that I mean. Bush had a historically low approval rating. Um, no one liked the war in Iraq. You know, there was a lot of things that people had um, that they were upset about, and the West Wing kind of addressed those with their, like, um, situation in Kumar. The, like, they, 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 they did kind of like what science fiction does, where they take real-life events and they kind of transpo- transpose it into the fiction and kind of help you see what the issues are. And sometimes they take a stance, sometimes they take the stance that you kind of are expecting Sorkin to take. Um, but what I really loved about the show was that you, I, it made me understand real world politics a lot better, even if the show is a little bit more realist, uh, a little bit, m- un, it's much more unrealistic than the real world. But there were things that I, I learned that, you know, I would then research about, be like, oh, they're referencing this or so, they're talking about this, or, you know, they're pulling from these headlines or something. So... In in and I think that's why, a lot of people our age really like it because it helps. It's almost like a supplement to the real world where you can kind of figure out what's going on in the world of politics um, and how how do the, how you can kind of almost relate it back. It it humanizes the the big events of our of our time.
1: Yeah, and I I always think of that scene where um, Bartlett is talking to that woman, who is against homosexuality. And he has that speech about, like, things that are, like, sins or, like, illegal in the Bible. That's the pilot! Think, is that the pilot? It's the pilot? that early, yeah. I don't think it's the pilot.
0: Well, there's there's two moments like that, I think, where it's the one where, at the end of the speech, he says, when the president stands, nobody sits. Is ah. that, Anya, is that the one you're referencing?
1: I'm referencing the one, he's talking to a blonde woman, and she's talking about how she's against homosexuality, and he says, like, oh, if my daughter does this like she'll get stoned to death and like he brings up those points got it and it's one of those scenes that people like reference a lot or if they talk about it they quote it a lot and it's a great scene and it's like you know you love it because Bartlett is you know Bartlett is a Catholic but he is realistic enough to know that not everything in the Bible should be taken literally or is still relevant today and he is, you know, for LGBT rights and all these things. And it's one of those scenes where it's great and it's inspiring, but it also feels a little bit manufactured in a Hollywood way. I think, as this show can be sometimes, it really like toes that line of. That's why, I like, some of the episodes that are about, like, some smaller political things, and they're not kind of these big. Like, the big inspirational episodes are great. But sometimes just the smaller ones where they're trying to, like, work on a bill are just as interesting because it's just their kind of daily work and everything. Um, But, yeah. It's
0: like when Parks and Rec does Parks and Rec stuff.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, And sometimes you don't even need, like, an inspirational moment. Like, I always think of that moment in 20 Hours in America where Toby, Donna, and Josh get stranded in the Midwest. And at the end, Toby meets that dad at the bar. Who's talking about how he's trying to pay for his daughter to go to college, and how it's really hard. Um, and you know, Toby just says like, "I'm Toby Ziga, I work for the White House. Like, can I buy you a drink?" And it comes up later in and uh, later in the season that they're trying to do like college debt reform and everything. And it's just yeah, those tiny things that
0: some something that impacts a lot of people our age. <laughs>
1: A lot of people. Mm. So yeah, so I think you know this this show does big well, but it also does small. Sometimes even better. Absolutely. So yeah.
0: I think ultimately the show for me is about characters, um, and their relationships with each other.
1: Yeah, I mean it's why, um, oh my god, hold on, I'm blanking on his name. This is so embarrassing. Who? Wait no, I feel like I can't say because then you guys will laugh. low cute. You can do this, Bradley Whitford. Wow, there it is. <laughs> Bradley Whitford, who plays Josh. You know, that's why he won his Emmy for Noel, which is such a be- beautiful episode. And it's not like about politics; it's about him suffering from PTSD from being shot. And that scene, that whole episode, is just amazing. And it's all character-driven. So, yeah. <laughs> you know,
2: that guy who did a thing, it's fine. He was a main character on a show. It's fine.
1: I'm fine. Um, what else do you guys think about the show? I think a lot of things. Um,
2: you were talking about um, episodes that hit really close to home, and all I could think was the women of kumar um which still feels very real um like god so real um but on the complete other end of the spectrum i just watched it this morning um and i like messaged you about it because i was so excited i also watched the supremes yes which is um after sorkin left the show and we took hope and change to like the next level And they were like, no, we're going to do it. We're going to put a lady as a Supreme Court judge. And not only that, she's going to lead the bench. Like, that's what we're going to do. And it didn't start out that way. The episode starts out and they're like, nah, no thanks. But by the end, they've committed to it and they've done it. And they've had to make some sacrifices. But also, it's the most extraordinarily not real world thing. Because the entire time that they're doing it, everyone goes, no, absolutely not. No way. Republicans will never agree to this. And in reality, absolutely Republicans never would have agreed to it. She's so progressive. And also, she's had an abortion. We've just seen this election cycle. The things that you cannot get away with if you're a lady. Um, And having an abortion is so high on that list and in the end the republicans were like yeah just nominate a conservative for the other slot that's open and we'll call it a day yep and (laughs) um so like yes sometimes we do reality really well and sometimes we just chuck it out the window which is also sometimes what we need which is why i think we love the show so much
1: Yeah, well, it's like earlier in the series, um, shout out to your boy, Willoughby, but when Edward James Olmos was in the show, and they were nominating him for a position, for a court position, and, you know, there were various things about him the fact that he is a person of color, and then there was the episode where he was pulled over for not drunk driving because he wasn't drinking
2: no but that's what he was pulled over for yeah
1: and then there was a the whole thing about like he was actually pulled over for being a person of color and it was discrimination and you know I, I like that they take these kind of smaller characters and they build upon them and have good commentary and as Willoughby knows Edward James almost is great
0: yes of course he's so great and yeah <laughs> he's, he's a drama.
1: he is drama. that's true who is wonderful?
0: Um, we should do a Battlestar Galactica episode. I'd be so down at, at some point. I'd be so down. I don't think HT's seen it though. We could just do it when she. We could do it when she's gone. Yeah,
1: I just want to talk about what a mess guys Baltar <laughs> is. is. Is that Baltar.
0: what happens
2: when ht is gone? You just invite other people to show up. HT's important, guys. Love her.
1: Yeah, HT's <laughs> the best. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Topic, you know, not we haven't we haven't seen everything that we've all that everyone else has seen. Yeah. So, like, she hadn't when we did our Star Trek episode. It was just me and Anya because HTA had that week off, and also we wanted to talk about Star Trek. And she hadn't she hadn't seen most of. Always it. talk about Star Trek. She, yeah.
1: Yeah, and like this is we know we've talked about it in the Whedon episode, but I am a much bigger fan of Sorkin. Um, in terms of egotistical preachy writers Writers. (laughs) they're very similar but
0: yeah and that was such a revelatory episode because you guys were like i like him for this reason i like him for this reason and then you're like wait we like it we like each of the guys for the same reasons but we don't like this the other guy
1: yeah exactly um and so like sorkin can get really preachy but i i find that i like his preach better than whedon's preach i also just think sorkin is more my sense of humor like Whedon can get very shticky and Sorkin I feel is just much a much drier wit, which I really appreciate. And I mean, like, who isn't laughing hysterically when Bartlett's in the Oval Office and he's like drugged up and like Oh my god like, Toby's there and <laughs> like who isn't that hilarious? Like that is so hilarious? Who's not laughing?
0: Or the or the moment when uh, Stucker Channing cuts the tie off of Bartlett right before the debate. Yes. Or yes. when
1: CJ has a root canal and Josh has to do the press briefing and says that they have a secret f- fight to. or secret plan to fight inflation. Yeah. <laughs> there are all of those, like, out and out hilarious moments.
2: And then there are, like, all of the stupid things that they're shooting at each other throughout the day that get you through, a, like, a really heavy episode. And I appreciate, like, there are both levels there.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: like, the all the walk and talks are great because they're always kind of humorous
1: let's talk about walk and talks because like that's become a thing my favorite walk
2: and talk of all time is super humorous it's the one where Josh and Sam are walking somewhere and talking about something obviously this is just really descriptive but as they're walking they realize that neither of them knows where they're going yes And they're like, wait a minute, I was just following you. Okay, we're never going to tell anyone that this happened.
1: so good. And it's such a commentary
2: on, like, the show's use of walk-and-talks, but also as a general, like, oh, these people haven't slept in days because they're just trying to get an agenda pushed through.
0: Also, side note, when Bradley Whitford guested on Parks and Rec, the opening sequence was a walk-and-talk with Leslie and Bradley Whitford's uh, town councilman character, city councilman character. And it was like, uh, and then the the episode title was a reference to um, uh, a West Wing episode. And there were so many like little hints. Like I think uh, Bradley Whitford on his desk as a city councilman had like his character's name for for four city councilmen. Like you know, how the Bartlett for America napkin. Yeah, it was like like, it was there like there were a lot of his like, name that. Was
1: just for Pawnee.
0: Yeah, for yeah. Pawnee. So I'm just like I I like that you know a politics show could reference, like, another politics show like that and be, like, meta about that. And so, like, yeah, walk-and-talks are such, like, a staple of a lot of shows now, and they kind of, like, did that.
1: Yeah, and it's like, I mean, Lin-Manuel Miranda and one of his, like, digital ham-for-hams when they were at the White House, they did the cabinet battle
0: um,
1: as, like, a walk-and-talk. And And so they just spoke it and they didn't sing it. And because Lin-Manuel Miranda is such a big West Wing fan, I mean, they played the West Wing theme his last performance on closing night
0: oh he did they did it was amazing i saw the video for that so fun fact about the walk and talks the west wing set is not built um coherently so when they go through a door they're not going through the same door like what you see on the other side is not what they go into so like uh if they're going through a hallway and then they go through a door into another room that's a completely different take that that is like might be days later or like another a couple hours later like they don't just walk into the the other room it's not like they built a coherent set like like the office you know how the office was like a complete setup Mm -hmm. no matter what yeah you couldn't move it around like you like documentary style it was like it was built like it was a real place the west wing was like a set that moved around and they had so like those walk and talks the fact that they had to keep up the momentum like after, like cut after cut of going through different hallways or doors it is astonishing to me
2: that sounds terrible <laughs> like from an actor's perspective that just sounds terrible
1: That is crazy. I mean, this whole show, like, when you think about it, is so ambitious. Like, and I know, like, when it first premiered, like, they had no idea how it was going to do. And they talk about this in the West Wing Weekly. And it's just, you know, it's one of those shows where you don't know if it's going to, like, now we think of it and we're like, oh, yeah, the West Wing, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. But at the time, you know, you wonder how it's going to translate. Because it is a pretty dense show. And, like, that Sorkin as a writer. He's a very dense writer. And you kind of wonder, our audience is going to get this. You have to be able to have, like, an emotional anchor, which I think is what you were talking about, Willoughby. It's the characters. The characters are so good that, like, even if some of the politics fly over your head, you kind of have them grounding you. Um, because it is, I mean, they tackle so many different things, you know, in terms of just, like, the wonkiest policies. (laughs) Oh, wonks. Willoughby and I have a very interesting relationship with that word because of, uh, Going to American University in DC and being called wonks. Um, <laughs> Willoughby is like shaking his head right now.
0: They spent a million dollars on that campaign. Yep, they sure did. They spent so much money to brand the word wonk. Yep. My God. What a horrible word. <laughs> and you know who they gave wonk of the year the first year, Leah? President Bill Clinton. He was Wonk of the Year. And then Anderson Cooper was Wonk of the Year.
2: That's the worst title to give someone.
0: (laughs) Former President William Jefferson Clinton, Wonk of the Year 2011. It
2: just sounds like the kid at the birthday party that no one really wants. Like, here you go, Wonk.
0: (laughs) We got Jeffrey over here. He's a real Wonk.
1: (laughs) Exactly. It doesn't sound like a thing you should strive to be. Um, did you see? Did you know about that thing where like they had like the wonk posters over, across UC and like you could take like a picture in front of one of them and like enter the competition or whatever?
0: No, but I do remember the headless wonk campaign where they just had like the bodies of these models and their heads cut off and it just said wonk. Yeah, on top no, that of was it.
1: there was like a thing where you could like take a picture of yourself in front of it like being a wonk, and like my my friend had me take a photo of him and we he had like ten watches on his arm and was just like checking all of them and. Took the photo.
0: What is it, a All right,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Marty McFly. I have no idea. I mean, nothing about that campaign made any sense ever. So. Okay.
0: And the fact that people were like, well, it's the word no backwards. I'm like, that
1: doesn't make it I know, it's a like, wonk. You're a wonk because you know something backwards and forwards. <sighs> no. I cringed for both of you. It was a dark time. We had
0: to deal with this for four years. Uh, Anya for three because she graduated Yeah, early. I
1: had to get out of the wonk. I was like... I'm
2: done. Whatever. You got to graduate and come find me. So it's all fine with me. Exactly. Um, but I did wanted to g- get back to your point. Yes. Because I, I had a thought. Yes. And I want to get it yes. before I lose it. Um, so I think the thing with the show that was a concern is also like sort of a thing that is visited within the Bartlett presidency itself. Like I think it's almost meta that way where they talk kind of a lot especially at the beginning but it does continue throughout the presidency that Bartlett is too intellectual almost yeah and he's faulted for that all the time and like how is he relating to people and how can he better relate to the people if he just is this giant nerd who knows a lot of stuff and doesn't care that he knows it
0: Especially about, like, economics, which is a very boring subject for a lot of people.
2: Right! Um, And when it's brought up, he always is like, Well, I did win a Nobel Prize for it, so, like, I'm gonna talk about it. Yeah. Um, And I think that that's very similar to the show itself. Like, is this too intellectual for people? Is a lot of this gonna go over people's heads? And Sorkin kind of said, Well, I am a really good writer, and I do know how to write about this, so I'm gonna
1: do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, that's why you have, like, writing teams and stuff is, you know, if Sorkin were allowed to do this completely unrestrained, it probably would have been a not digestible
0: show. It would have been, a, I think it would have been more like the newsroom where he kind of almost has, like, complete control over everything that's, every word that's written yeah. on that show. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, I mean, you, it, the West Wing, you know, like, they tackle so much, and they talk about so much, like Leah was saying. And I feel like almost if you watch it now, like, it's it's very clear that it's, like, 90s, early 2000s progressiveness, like there are aspects of it now that seem already really dated. Um, you know,
0: and then there's plenty there's subjects that are just never brought up that we that we talk about. Yeah,
1: and like you look at the the staff, and it's I think like what other than like Charlie, they're all white. Um, and like you know, you do kind of get better because like you have like Santos running in the end. Um, and I really like the way Sorkin writes most of his female characters on the show sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't Um, but I feel like at the time it was really tackling progressive issues, I mean the whole thing with Charlie when there's the assassination attempt at the end of season one and you find out they were actually targeting Charlie because he's black and because he was working for the president and dating the president's daughter and you find out it was actually against him. Um, and that is still very real today.
0: Yeah, especially within the last week.
1: Yeah. Um, And so I really admire kind of the the bravery and the guts that it took to kind of do this show and take a risk on it. Because um, I think it was a big risk for NBC to do. And then, I mean, it won tons of Emmys. And now we all love
0: it and lasted for 7 seasons like almost a compl- like the fact that they started the show a year into the bartlett presidency they kind of by by the by the 6th episode by the 6th season they kind of had to know that they had to have like an end game cuz like either they're going to continue the show with a new president or they cancel the show um, yeah so i think they i think that i i liked that they wrapped up they wrapped it up at the like inauguration of a new president yeah
1: and so that brings me to i think kind of wrap up our episode just as they wrapped it up and one final question i mean there's always talk about like a west wing reunion or like a mini series kind of like what, with what they're doing with gilmore girls in a couple weeks um and like the cast still does stuff together they campaign for hillary they still do like fun promotional videos for certain things but would you guys like a
0: uh, big like big, big thing block Tuesday. Yeah, big block um, of cheese.
1: Would you guys ever want to see like a sequel or like a mini series, a continuation of the series?
0: I would say a mini series and like one season of it because I think there's all, like what can they? It it would have to be like a getting the band back together type of thing because everyone at the end of the show was in such different spots than they were while the show was like you know like what josh was doing i mean that, that's the thing is that if they do like a real time um time progression the santos campaign is over or the sam like any the santos uh administration would be over even if he had a, a, a two term if he had a, a second term so you would have to figure out what they're doing and i think it would have to be more character driven than plot driven yeah. it would have to be like some like I hate to say it, but, like, a death in the family. Like, something to bring the group together at this point in their lives.
1: Yeah. What about you, Leah? Um,
2: I'm always really wary of getting the band back together. Um, just because so often it's done so, so poorly. I think if I were to want anything, I would almost want, like, SNL-style shorts. Just, like, real short things. Um... Some of the things that we saw this election season were just great. Um, Alice and Jenny pretending to be CJ. Craig a few months at back, the White House and amazing. like at the White House and giving a briefing. That was great. Like I don't need a full episode, but like that was a wonderful moment for me. Um, or even just seeing everybody hanging out, um, that short video that was released from the Clinton campaign. Where they're all traveling the Midwest, and, like, they're all hanging out and doing stuff, but also campaigning. That was also great. So, if I were to get more things, I think that I would want them to be in very short form, like, little, like, glimpses of people's days. I don't know if I trust my media to
1: do anyone justice beyond that. Fair enough. I think I'm with you guys. I think... I feel like it's kind of had its time, and we can keep referencing it, but
0: logistically for me, it doesn't yeah, work out.
1: I agree. Um, all right, so we're all big fans. I feel like I'm gonna give one final recommendation. If you guys like David Tennant, who is delightful, he was once on this like West Wing trivia competition. Yes. Yes, he was. I, I think it's, it's, until like 40, you said it's like forty. It's like forty-five minutes long. It's, I think it's online, and he was like a contestant. It's so great. And it was like some. I don't even know if it was like if it was just a one-off thing, but it was this West Wing like trivia show, like a Jeopardy. Like yes. answering
0: questions, uh, answering questions about yes. the West Wing.
2: Yeah, like you know how the British love a good quiz show. Yeah. It was that,
1: but around the West Wing, but just on the West Wing. Interesting. You should look it up. It's interesting
0: yeah. that it was also. Was yeah. it British? Was it an actual British? Yeah. Int- very yeah, David
1: Tennant was on it, and he's a big fan. Um, they do, like, a walk and talk section where they're answering questions while doing a walk and talk. <laughs> you should look it up. Everyone should watch it. It's delightful. Um,
0: we'll link to it in the, in the yeah. blog.
1: And, yeah, the West Wing is great. And, hopefully, we can kind of take its idealism and hope and, you know energize us to fight going forward. Alright, so let's move on to our last section of the podcast. I really, really, really like you. I need to tell you something. I really,
2: really, 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 really,
1: really like you. Alright, Leah, as our special guest for the episode, what do you really like this week? Because I think we can all use some positivity right now.
2: Yeah, I've got... Two things for you. Bring it on. First of all, I really, 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 really like that you guys asked me to be on this week.
1: It was the best.
2: I listened to all your episodes, and I have since the beginning, and I am now proud enough to call the both of you friends, Um, and so to be on the podcast is a very big deal for me, and I've been telling everyone in my life, and I'm going to make everyone listen to the episode, yes. so. um, That's a good really, plan. Really like. Everyone do that. um really really like have
0: their have your friends tell your friends to watch to listen to the podcast
2: i'm on it my work home is everyone just does what everyone else says so it's the pyramid if
0: you can get the entire cast member society of disney world to listen to our podcast that'd be amazing
2: okay so we'll start at movie ride and then branch out out to studios and then yeah keep going done all right done um i want the guy
0: who plays captain america To listen to our podcast.
2: Sir, I regret to inform you, he does not do meet and greets at the Walt Disney World Resort. What? I'm so mad about it. Only Disneyland. Steve is over
1: here. Steve is over here.
2: Okay, so, sidetrack for a moment. There's a deal with um, Disney and Universal. Universal in Islands of Adventure has their whole superhero island, and so, like, they have meet and greets with, like, most of the X Men, also Captain America, also Spider Man. I yes. think still. I can't remember. I just don't care enough about Spider Man to do meet and greets. So like I never remembered. Um, so I went to Universal once. I met Captain America once, and it was great. But we don't have him yet, and I'm mad. Currently, you can do meet and greets with Doctor Strange at you uni- know not Universal at disney's hollywood studios that's where i work i should know things um and he does a little magic show with kids anya it's so cute i bet it's like uh jedi training at disneyland where you just get picked out of the audience there's no sign-up system he just like finds little kids in the crowd and pulls them out onto Bleecker street and like has them do magic tricks that's with adorable
1: him. i love that
2: also in tiny baby steps world the it's at the end of that of pixar place oh, okay um and there used to be like a like a newspaper machine there yeah you, you know i what do I, mean. I know what you're talking about and the newspaper in the front of there has been renamed for the daily bugle
1: that's adorable That's adorable. Yeah, very so cute baby steps
2: that's we're all... getting
0: if there. you guys couldn't I went to Disney World once in two thousand four. You should
1: go again. Come back. <laughs> be my friend. I know we should.
0: We should we all make to. a trip. We I should think, make a Millennial yeah.
1: Falcon trip. Done. We should
0: all go to a Star Wars celebration in Orlando and then do a side trip to uh, Disney World.
2: Um, time that so that everything in Star Wars is open because it's a whole construction heap right now.
0: Oh yeah, Star Wars Land Which is
2: opening.
1: What... It's gonna in be both great. Parks. but right
2: now it's rubble. Yeah,
1: yeah, lots of the construction at Disneyland too. Um I'm honestly dreading like the first like year of Star Wars Land being open because it's just gonna be a madhouse.
2: I have to transfer out, man. Yeah. Send me to Death. It's gonna be
1: insane. Send me to Death. Um if you guys couldn't tell, Leah and I worked at Disney World together, so that's what this is all about. Um so back on track, did you have another Please edit yeah. proprietary
2: secrets out? That's all I ask. <laughs> did you have another really like? Yes, my other really like is Dapper Day. Dapper Day uh, was yesterday for us here at the Walt Disney World explain Resort. Explain what
1: that is to our listeners.
2: Wouldn't I love to? Uh, Dapper Day happens twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring, at Disney resorts around the world. And it essentially celebrates... How do I explain this? It celebrates style. Um yep. Back in 1955, when Disneyland first opened, everyone dressed up to come to the theme park because this was a new experience and no one knew quite what to do for it. So women came in like full dress pearls and heels for the event and men wore suits and it was an occasion. And
0: so that's it's kind like of... like when people flew back in the day, they always dressed up.
2: Right, exactly. And so that's what Dapper Day celebrates... Um, it's like, it's the first day of Disneyland all over again and everyone comes in their best attire. Um, usually that is vintage, but it differs obviously from person to person. Um, and so I got all dressed up in my 1950s best and walked all around the world showcase at Epcot yesterday.
1: It is. It was wonderful. It's a really fun experience if you guys ever get to go to Dapper Day. one of the Disney parks definitely do it because it's a lot of fun and people go all out for it it's my Christmas um like Christmas is my Christmas
2: but Dapper Day is a very close second um not just because that is my aesthetic already but also because everyone compliments each other all day Anya you've experienced this it's like a whole day where people
1: are like you look great I love your hair where'd you get your shoes you look awesome. It's very positive and very wonderful. Now there's like a Dapper Day Expo. Yeah, out of California, yeah. you guys have an expo and you have folly.
2: Yeah, um, Disneyland Paris has a whole lot of stuff that's happening, too. It's a whole thing. It's now a two-day event coming in the spring. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Walt Disney World's going to do Saturday, I believe, at the Magic Kingdom and Sunday at Epcot. That might be flip
0: dapper weekend oh my god it's gonna be great i'm so excited it's it's gonna be like the progression of harry potter on abc family where it starts out as a (laughs) day and then it starts out as a weekend and then it's gonna be dapper forever
1: forever
2: i would love that but also this is florida so calm your expectations (laughs) no one is willing to wear a suit in july no
1: also didn't freeform lose the rights to harry potter
0: yeah they're losing it soon so more no uh, more
1: freeform harry potter weekend no
0: more no more live tweets No more Harry Potter hashtag live tweets. Maybe Uh,
2: we'll get Cinderella weekend with Cinderella and all of the remakes and sequels.
1: That would be my dream. (laughs) Um, Yes, everyone go to Dapper Day. It's so much fun. Um, Willoughby, what do you really like this week?
0: Um, I saw Arrival on Friday. I had Veterans Day off, um, so me and a friend, we went to go see a matinee of Arrival. It's the new... (laughs) Denis Villeneuve movie, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah,
1: Leah's like shaking her head at you. Being the French speaker that she is. is. Denis Villeneuve.
0: Sure. (laughs) Um, uh, I took four years of French. Could not tell you how to say hi. No, I I know. It's uh, uh, yeah, but no, the movie is great. Um, Amy Adams stars in it, Jeremy Renner stars in it. Uh, It's very, there's a mystery behind it and it's kind of, it's very Lost-esque, I'll I'll say that much, Um, and it's very beautiful, the cinematography is gorgeous, Um, it's very character-driven, the plot can be a little wonky sometimes, um, but it's more about the characters in in a sense the same way Lost is, Um, and I really like it, Um, it's probably, it's definitely one of the best movies of the year. Uh, and, uh, I recommend Well, I mean, anything
1: he does, I feel, is, like, A-plus in my book. I, I've never seen a movie by him I haven't liked and, like, been blown away by.
0: I think this is the first movie I've seen by him. I haven't seen Sicario, I haven't seen Prisoners, or any... Or Encendí. Um, yeah. So I seen Such a good movie. I, I haven't seen any of those but i'm excited for blade runner 2049 you should check out like prisoners and
1: sicario and other movies because they are incredible he is just such a powerful director i know i saw you tweet that you said like you were like i slept on it and i think i can say i liked arrival so were you not sure when you first
0: so right after the film was over i was kind of like what just happened but then when i thought about more of what happened because like the character's emotional beats and the plot are kind of separate, but they're also entwined. So it kind of, there was some things that were unexplained about, um, I'll just, th- there are aliens in the movie. Um, the, whole, the whole thing is about an alien, it's, it's all about first contact, and at the end I was a little confused by what the aliens were up to, um, uh, but character-wise it was a very emotionally fulfilling uh, story. So I was kind of like... I'm excited uh, to see it. So after, after like, thinking about it for 12 hours, I was able to reconcile my feelings, and I think I, I, I ended up liking it a lot.
1: Okay. I'm really excited to see it. Yeah.
0: And, I, I think, yeah. and I, I'd like to pick your brain about the movie afterwards.
1: Yeah. I'm wondering what Amy Adams is going to be nominated. I'm sure she'll be nominated. I wonder if it'll be for this or for Nocturnal Animals. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think she... I think she's probably going to be a powerhouse in both.
0: Mm-hmm. She always um, knocks um, it out of the park.
1: Yeah. She's so good. I'm so excited for nocturnal animal. It looks incredible. And she said she said had, such, um, such, had such an
0: interesting career by playing like one off characters on like Smallville and Buffy and then the office and then like completely becoming like like Oscar nominated actress in just like a decade.
2: Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was just gonna say I always forget how good Amy Adams is, because like I'm only remembering her from things like that, and then I'm like, no,
0: she's actually an absolute genius. She's an amazing yeah, singer. Yeah, she's incredible. Enchanted, that whole thing.
1: Yes, Enchanted, such a good movie. Um, yeah, well, I'm excited to see it. We'll have to talk about it once I get around to seeing it. There are so many movies out to see. Yeah. Like I finally saw Moonlight and Doctor Strange. I said that last they're week. Still. Yeah, and I liked both. Um. Put a lot of Doctor Strange thoughts on Twitter.
0: I saw that. I like, I favorited every single one of them.
1: <laughs> I saw that. Um, but like, there's like Loving is out and Arrival's out. And I still want to see The Handmaiden. There's just too many movies. Um, you should
0: just take a week off and just go see a movie every day.
1: Cool. I can definitely do that. Don't do that. Don't, Keep your I job. Don't have, <laughs> I don't have other responsibilities for grad school. Treat yourself. Um, so, my I really like is. Something to do with movies, but not a movie specifically. So I'm going to give a shout out. Last weekend, I went to the Guillermo del Toro exhibit at LACMA, our one of our museums out here in L.A. Um, it's called At Home with Monsters, and it's basically just a giant exhibit of Guillermo del Toro's, like, personal collection Um. From, like, his inspirations, but also his movies that he's done. Um, so, the exhibit is split up by theme. So, like, it, there's, like, a theme on, like, monsters. And it talks about, you know, it has Hellboy in it and the creatures in Hellboy. It has Pacific Rim and the Kaiju. And it just has all the different movies. And you have, like, de- there's a, a section on death, a section on childhood and innocence. Um, and so it's, you know, props from his movies, uh, costumes concept art but then it's also you know he was really inspired by Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe and so there's like stuff from both those writers in the exhibit and it's just all his personal collection that he has at home and they brought it in for an exhibit it's going to be a traveling exhibit Um, I'm not sure where it's going after this but Guillermo del Toro is one of my favorite directors of all time I think he's just a brilliant visionary Um, and I like that his movies are about kind of hope even as like dark as they are, and I absolutely adore him. He's also a big Disney fan, and so he had a lot of like Disney stuff in his personal collection that was at the exhibit. So I was very excited to see all of that. Um, and yeah, all of that it was beautiful incredible. mansion concept art. Yeah, he had haunted mansion stuff. He had concept art from Sleeping Beauty, um, from Pinocchio. I was so interested to wonderful. see that stuff, because I was very confused about what it was doing in that exhibit. Yeah. It's just, like, it's in his, like, kind of his childhood and, like, fantasy section. um, And, like, innocence. But it was just a really powerful exhibit, and I just love him. He is the best. And he's doing five million things at once. Um <laughs> all the time, but I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, So check out his his exhibit and see if it's coming near you because it's definitely worth it to go see. Um, So that is my really like. So everyone, if you guys have any thoughts on the West Wing or Dapper Day or Arrival or Guillermo del Toro, even if you haven't seen the exhibit, just him in general, definitely come chat with us about those things and where can they do that Willoughby
0: you can find us on Facebook you can find us on Twitter at Falcon Podcast where you have a blog millennial falconpodcast.wordpress.com we're on SoundCloud and you can rate review and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play and where can they find you guys you can find
1: me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter you can find me
0: at at Leah Kate on Twitter and you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter all right. Bye, Bye guys! guys. Bye!
1: Bye.